Good morning. This is the day the Lord has made. It is a beautiful day. How many brought your brawlies with you this morning? I saw a couple of you bringing them on in. And uh, you really think it's going to rain here in Southern California? You, do you think so? <laughs> you call that rain. Come on. Come on, bunch of sissies. Uh, <laughs> well, we hope that's just the start of something good. But um, I, I do know I got my car washed on Friday. So you know, just make it dirty, God. Uh, I appreciate that. And so we come to worship this day on this Consecration Sunday as we bring our hearts, our lives, our souls, and all that we are unto God to worship Him. stand now as we join together in our black hymnal as we sing together number 2008 in our faith we sing let all things now living Thank you. 
As we continue with our joys and concerns, may we join in our prayer hymn, 114 Many Gifts, One Spirit. God, we come to you today, give you thanks and praise as we join together our voices in song, 
our hearts in worship. As we lift up our joys and our concerns, we give you thanks for the opportunity to share in laughter, to share in one another's lives, to share the blessings of birthdays and anniversaries and celebrations, of loved ones in our lives, of the strangers that we have yet to meet, and those relationships that we will be built. Glorious God, in our praise we too lift up our concerns for loved ones who are sick, for the concern of the unknown and the unexpected, that we might find your peace and your comfort, to know the things that weigh upon our hearts and in our lives, but the joy is that you search our hearts, that you know us intimately, that we might be able to lay our burdens down before you, to be your sons and daughters, your beautiful creation. Glorious God, we lift up those in our lives who are hurting, those who are struggling to hold on to hope, to find peace in a world of turmoil. We lift up the things not only in our lives, but those in our community, around this nation and throughout this world, to continue to lift up those who live with the reality of war and the threats of war, those who hunger and thirst, those who don't understand or haven't experienced freedom, and the list of other things, a host of other issues around this world that are too great to even mention, but you still are greater. So glorious God, as we offer our prayers to you, may we come but for a moment of silence to lay upon you the things that we hold in our hearts, to put them before the throne of our, your grace, that we need not bear them again. Glorious God, we come in silence. merciful and loving God, we give you thanks and praise that we might come to you exactly as we are, not perfect, but perfectly forgiven, to know that as we come into your presence, we can never be the same, but that our hearts and our lives will be forever changed and touched by your presence, that by being before you, we experience a love and a grace and a mercy unlike anything we've ever experienced before that through these things we might be brought together continuously to be your body, to be your light and your witness to this world. God, we give you thanks and praise that we might be here this morning together as family, as friends, as a community of faith. And so together as a community, may we offer the prayer that your son Jesus taught, that together we too lift our voices in prayer, saying, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. May the ushers come forward as we receive our morning's gifts, tithes, and offerings.
gifts, tithes, and offerings, we ask that you'll bless and multiply these, our gifts, as we present them before you. May we be faithful to the ministry to which you have called us, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.
Listen and receive a reading from the Word of God. A clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us, according to your grace and mercy. May we affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear the scripture from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15, and St. Luke chapter 6, verses 31 through 38. The point is this. The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance, so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. As it is written, he scatters abroad. He gives to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for your great generosity, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us. For the rendering of this ministry not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also overflows with many thanksgivings to God. Through the testing of this ministry, you glorify God by your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and by the generosity of your sharing with them and with all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God that he has given you, thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, What credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good, and lend expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put back into your lap for the measure you give will be the measure you get back. This is God's word to God's people. Thanks be unto God. May we pray. Eternal God, we give you thanks in the reading of the word. And in this word, O God, we ask that you will speak to us. But words more than heard, words more than read words more than found on page with ink, but now living words that find a place in living hearts. And so, O God, our prayer today is these, the living words that you speak to us may be as the good seed that finds its way to good soil, digs deep roots and brings forth harvest, that once more today that these seeds of the word of God may dig deeply into the soil of our souls, and bring to each of us this morning a harvest unto everlasting life through Jesus Christ, who is the living word of God, and in whose name we pray. Amen. 
Well, we have finally made it to the last sermon in our stewardship series. So would you give me a D? D. You're doing good. We finally spelled a real word. Steward. S was for stewardship. T was for tithing. E was for evangelism. W was for worship. A was for adoration and prayer. R was for arg. <laughs> or relationships. And today is D for decision. And all of it which spells steward, which we are called to be as followers of Christ in all that we do and all that we are. Being a steward of what God has given us is a sacred trust that we seek to be faithful to. And it all goes along with what I suppose is the only immutable, consistent, and absolutely guaranteed principle of life of which I am aware it is the principle of sowing and reaping. It is without a doubt the one true principle of nature, the world, and God, which presents itself perhaps more clearly than any other principle of the scriptures. I suppose I first heard about this principle of life from my grandmother who lived with our family until her death at the age of 88. I was only 19 when she died, but my grandmother was a very special part of my life in those 19 years. I remember her fondly as being warm and loving all the things that you would expect in a grandmother. She wore printed dresses. She never wore slacks. She wore those black granny shoes. And she had her gray hair topped with a bow. She loved to garden and plant things in the yard. And whenever we needed flowers in the house, Nana would cut and arrange the beautiful roses from the garden in a bowl and brought them in. And not only their fragrance came into the house, but her love that came with them as well. And I suppose it was from that that I derived the analogy I often use at funeral memorial services that life is like a rose which shares its fragrance long after the flower is gone. Now, I don't know if her roses were really as beautiful as you could have bought in a florist shop, but they were as precious gift, far more beautiful than the most expensive roses that you could have bought. And I can remember her planting seeds in her garden, in the soil, in the soil and in me. She grew wonderful boysenberries and strawberries and peaches and apricots and plums. And I would sit with my siblings with her for hours upon hours at the kitchen sink, peeling fruit and helping her can it for Christmas gifts to all the family that looked more at Christmas to receive that little gift of preser preserves more than if they had gotten a gift that had cost $1,000. And as we put up the preserves and the fruits, she told me about her life in Canada before she came to the United States of the days of yesterday when she grew up on the lakes of Lake Ontario and the plains of Saskatchewan where my mother was born in Moose Jaw. The stories of grandfathers and great-grandfathers which today I only wish I had listened to harder and more intently as she told them. The stories of the family coming from the long trip from Canada and England and Ireland to a new land. And yet something of that was captured through the writings of my great first cousin, Edna Jakes, known in Canada as the pioneer poet of the Canadian Plains, who wrote homespun poetry and by whom my grandmother often read as we were canning the fruit 
to while away the time of a nostalgic time of another generation. And as the jam pot boiled and as we prepared to pour the hot wax to seal the jars, I would hear these stories of the family. Such words as these about my great-great-grandfather from Yorkshire who died in 1850 in Canada and is buried in the little Methodist cemetery not a half mile from the shores of Lake Ontario. He has no place or part in this today. His bones are dust, his heart is clay. And yet we follow little paths he laid, walk in and out through sturdy doors he made. His hands have crumbled down to golden soil, and yet we reap the harvest of his toil. The trees he planted by the carriage shed blossom and bear their apples warm and red. His tired feet have long since found their rest, and yet the part of home we love the best. Our little fields he plowed and worked alone, the pasture that he cleared of stump and stone. The well he dug and curbed with careful hand still yields its clear, sweet water from the land, bubbling up from the deep springs of earth, old as the ancient hills, yet new birth. He does not die, for somehow in the sun forever lives the good that he has done, the furrowed field, the budding apple tree, bearing its fruit for children yet to be. And so my Nana planted seeds of wonder and respect of long past, which today still abides within me. But the most important thing that she taught me through this was the principle of which I speak today, for she often said to me, when you come into life, what you reap in life is what you will sow. Plant apple seeds and you'll go apple trees. Plant berry seeds and you'll get fresh berries in the spring. Sow weeds and so shall you weep. But plant the seeds of character and life, of love and God, and you will reap a life of blessing. And I remember those words a long, long time. Little did I know so long ago in a kitchen sink with my grandmother would I learn the greatest lesson of life. And even more how biblical that lesson was. Indeed, these are the words of St. Paul as he writes to us in Corinthians. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. He says it again in Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived, for whatsoever you sow, so shall you reap. This principle of life is so important, and I believe that we have principles of Christian living in our scriptures today that can transform our lives because it is to understand that God can do things that we cannot do for ourselves if we give those things unto God. I suppose the problem of we 21st century city Christians is that we suffer from having not been brought up on the farm and we lose something in the translation of Jesus' agricultural mindset and the words that he uses about farming and harvesting and sowing and reaping. In my family, mine is the first generation on both sides not to have been born on the farm for 450 years. There are some things a farmer knows which city folk often forget, and I've learned some of those principles. They're not new to me. They're principles of the Bible, and they can be effective in our lives. And I'd like to share with you about that today because it has to do with our stewardship. The principle of life can be expressed in several ways, but basically it is this. What we sow is what we reap. It's as simple as that. Always has been. Always will be. Now you take a farmer. 
You put them in a field, you give them a sack of dandelions, and you ask them to sow a field of corn, and you know what they'll say? That is impossible. You can't reap corn when you sow dandelions. There's never been a farmer that was that stupid. What you put into the ground is what you will get up from the ground. Now let me redefine this for we city livers and say it this way, what you put into life is what you get out of life. Guaranteed. It's the old saying that we often use, what goes around comes around. Use it in computers, jiggle, garbage in, garbage out. What you give is what you get. What you sow is what you reap. What you put into life is what you get out of life. It's as sure as the morning follows night and minute follows minute. Now, I don't understand everything in the Bible, but I think I understand what this verse is saying. And it comes again to us in this verse that we heard from St. Luke today. Give and it shall be given on to you. Now, wouldn't it really be something if we believe that if we gave more, we would receive more. It says, give and it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall be given unto you, for by the same measure you give will be the measure that you get back. Now, Jesus has just told us a lot of very hard things. He has told us to love our enemies. He has told us to give even if we don't expect to return. He has told us to do things to other people when we get nothing back for them. Why is he telling us this? He's saying because what you put into life is what you get back from it. And if you give all of the negative things, if you give the things that are going to put people down, if you're going to give the things that are going to turn people away, it's eventually going to come back to you. So what Jesus says, love and give and be because these are the things that you will get back when you do that. But for this to really take hold, we have to come to a very foundational belief, and that is the understanding that of all the things in life, that God is our source. God made everything. God is everything that is good, that is right, and beneficial, and a blessing to us. And this is what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 9.10. He says that he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply our resources. God will not only give us but will multiply our blessings when we're faithful to God because God is our source. I'm not our source. This church is not your source. Our denomination is not our source. God, through Jesus Christ, is our source. And I think, by and large, we hold ourselves back as individual Christians and as individual churches when we try to come into life and an understanding of our stewardship when we, and I don't even know this is a word, but what I call horizontalism, it expresses what I want to say. That is that we look at our future and the vision of our church on a horizontal plane, not on a vertical plane. Not a human plane, but a divine plane. We need to have the upward look to God and not be always looking down to this human horizontal view that we often understand, predict, and determine our lives. When God is our source and you look to God, you will find the blessings of being a steward for him. Therefore, we must emphasize this vertical dimension of our faith. And I'm not just saying this. I'm saying we need to live this. God is our source. And if God is our source, 
God will provide. Another way of looking at it is to get back to Jesus' farming example. He said, you must plant to grow. Now, I'm a city boy. What do I know about farming? I know as much about farming as you could put in a teaspoon. I know nothing about farming. But I've understood in my own lifetime, the only time I understood what planting corn was, was going to the freezer department at Safeway and buying a bag of bird's eye that said frozen corn. That's my extent of farming, my friends. But have you ever gotten a really good, fresh piece of corn with the husk still on it? And you, and you pull that off, it, it, it's such a different experience in bird's eye. And have you ever seen that good, fresh corn right off the stock? And what does an ear of corn have on it? Those little rows. What are those called? Yeah. And what are the little individual things called? No, they're not. No. The corn. Have you ever heard about eating kernel on the cob? You eat corn on the cob. They're just itty-bitty little corns. <laughs> a lot of little corns. That was really corny, wasn't it? <laughs> but have you ever counted how many kernels were on that cob? I did once. I counted how many kernels were on there, and then I took a full ear of corn and multiplied it by the number of ears on a stalk, and I got at least four to 5,000 kernels on one stalk. Now, here's what a farmer does. A farmer can take one kernel of corn and put it in the ground, and he can water it and take care of it, and what's going to happen? It's going to turn into a corn. As a matter of fact, it's going to turn itself into a stalk of corn, and that stalk of corn is going to turn into a whole bush of corn, and then you're going to have four to 5,000 more corns that you're going to have. Now, let me tell you something about corn. It's dumb corn. <laughs> corn can't think. Corn can't sing. Corn can't go to church. Corn can't do nothing but get eaten. Who, who said a thank you? <laughs> that was pretty funny, wasn't it? <laughs> corn doesn't do anything but get eaten. It's just dumb corn. Now hear me, if God can do that for dumb corn, can multiply it like that, what do you think God can do for us if we'll allow our lives to be planted in God's goodness and give back Unto God. You see, we have to plant to grow, you have to sow to reap it, you have to give to get it, you have to put it in before you get it out. If we give sparingly, we get back sparingly. If we give with teaspoons, we get back teaspoons. If you give generously, you get back generously. It's always work that way. Today on this Stewardship Sunday, I'm simply asking you to believe that what we're doing here. It's part of the mission and the vision of what God would have us to do. Many people think that that basket is just to receive the money that you're going to dedicate today. Now, we need money. You need money. 
Churches need money. I am not asking you to dedicate your money here today. We're going to consecrate that. I'm going to ask you to dedicate yourself so that you can grow by your giving into everything that God wants you to be and to do. And it takes a vision. It takes a dream. It takes an understanding of what God is doing in our lives. Is there power in a dream? A writer by the name of W.P. Kinsella sat in Calgary, Canada and had a thought. He said, what if a corn farmer in Iowa was able to reunite a father and a son, one of whom had died for a moment of time for a game of baseball? Kinsella did something about his thought. He wrote a novel called Shoeless Joe. From that book, a screen version was written and a movie was made called Field of Dreams, starring Kevin Costner, who played the farmer. The farm on which the film was being shot is owned by a man named Don Lansing. Since the film's opening, thousands of people, moved by the power of a dream, have traveled to Duresville, Iowa to see a baseball mound play a little baseball. Some have even gotten married there but mostly to affirm that dreams can and do still come true. And throughout the movie, we heard the words over and over in the mind of Coster, if you build the field, they will come. Now, you're never quite sure who they are until at last we discover that it is the team. And Kevin's father, who died years before, his son could really tell them that he loved his dad. And at the end of the movie, because of the vision of the dream, you see the hundreds and hundreds of cars come into the darkness with their lights on down to the fields to come to a place where a dream was seen. But is it just a dream? In the fall of 1989, Don Lansing, who owned the field, received a letter, as he did many others. This one read, Dear Don, you don't know me. My name is John Bone. My son Matt and mother-in-law died in the crash of United Airlines Flight 232 in Sioux City, Iowa on July 19th. This past spring, I had taken my son and family to see the movie Field of Dreams. We loved the movie. I had no idea that the field was really there. How long do you plan to maintain it as a baseball field? We're planning to visit Sioux City next summer for the anniversary of the crash and would love to stop and visit the field. My Matt was 12, and he loved baseball. So do I, as my father did before me. As you may know, the plane crashed in an Iowa cornfield. I found the whole idea very ironic, the story of an Iowa farmer who plows up his cornfield to make a baseball field where dreams come true. And my son, who loved baseball, dying in the Iowa cornfield. My dreams had come to an end. When I read the article last evening, I knew I had to visit the field because there I know I can find the dream again. The hope of one chance 
to walk with my son one more time. Just a dream. Dreams have power because dreams point us to God. This is what Consecration Sunday is all about. See the dream. Consecrate your giving. But more than anything else, consecrate yourself, rededicate yourself today onto what God seeks to do through you. May we pray. Eternal God, we give you thanks in the blessing of your spirit here today, for we know that you are with us. We seek, O oh God, to understand this truth of giving, that when we give, we certainly receive back bountifully. Help us to be generous in our giving, but, O oh Lord, we seek to come here today that we might recommit ourselves, our lives, and everything that we are unto you. that we might know that you will grow us in our faith, that you will deepen us in our love, that you will recommit us in our faith unto Jesus Christ. Amen. In just a moment, we will be inviting you to come forward if you have brought your commitment card to bring it forth at the communion table to dedicate it there. What we'd like to ask is, is that as you come forward, we also want to remember our baptismal vows. And therefore, I'm going to direct you to the order of service. And I'd like to invite you to join with us as we join in the consecration of giving and the reaffirmation of our baptism, because this is a very important part of this day. Will you join with us? Through the sacrament of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church. We are incorporated in God's mighty acts of salvation and given new birth through water and the Spirit. All this is God's gift offered to us without price. Through our reaffirmation of our faith and witness, we renew the covenant declared at our baptism, acknowledge what God is doing for and in us, and affirm our commitment to Christ's holy church. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Lord of renewal, pour out your Holy Spirit, and by this gift of water call to our remembrance your grace shared with us at our baptism, that dying and rising with Christ, we may share in his final victory. Amen. So as we prepare to consecrate our gifts to God, let us rejoice in the faithfulness of our covenant with God as we, too, recommit ourselves to God. We, we give thanks for all that God has already given us as members of the body of Christ and in this congregation of the United Methodist Church. We recommit ourselves to faithfully participate in the ministries of the church to uphold it by our presence, our prayers, our gifts, our service, and our witness. And now may God of all grace, who has called us to eternal glory in Christ, establish and strengthen you by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you may live in grace and peace. Amen. What we would like to ask as you do to bring up your commitment card is to come forward down the center aisle. 
You'll be able to place it in the basket. Brian and I will be on either side with baptismal water. And if you would like to be reaffirmed by your baptism by the symbol of water, we just ask you to turn your palm up and we will bless you with the remembrance that we say, remember your baptism and be thankful and you'll be able to return back to your seats. If you are here as a visitor today, if this is your first Sunday today, if you didn't even bring your card today, feel free to come forward to be reaffirmed by your baptism vows that you might leave today knowing that you have renewed those vows before God. And so we come, we give, we commit unto Jesus Christ, our Lord.
before your altar, as we lay before you not only our gifts, but our entire selves, to remember our baptisms, to remember your call in our lives, to ministry and to the professions to which you've called us, to remember that you've given us the ability through our gifts, our presence, our prayers, and all that we are to be a body. So, glorious Lord, we ask that you will bless these, our promises that you will continue to use us in the ministry to which you've called us, that you continue to allow us to be a consecrated people in service to you in all that we are through our lives, in service not only to one another, but to the world around us. Glorious God, we give you thanks and praise this day that we come and offer ourselves holy and devoted to you. Use us as you will. May we continue to be faithful to say, here I am. Use me. Glorious God, we thank you for this coming year in the unknown, but the joy of knowing that you are in control and you continue to guide our vision and our desires and ministry through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. May I invite you to stand as we join in our hymn of dedication, number 327. We'll sing the first and last verses, Crown Him with Many Crowns.
reach out and take the hands of those standing near you as we receive our choral benediction. forth from this place. May we pray for the person on our right, for the person on our left, those in front and behind us, that we will go in peace to be the body of Christ now and forever. Amen. 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 Amen.